Let's pray. Lord, this morning we are so thankful for the freedom that we enjoy, for the life that you've given us. We pray, Lord, that as we open your word, that you would speak to us by the presence and power of your spirit, that you would draw us closer into relationship with you. Lord, that you would uh, guide us as we seek to live for you. Lord, for those who are here and who are perhaps listening and seeking you, have questions, Lord, are wondering if you're real, wondering where to turn. Lord, we ask that you would you would come and make yourself known unto them. Lord, that you would reveal your heart, both to those who are longing and searching and to us who have maybe walked with you for years. Lord, we pray that your presence would be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, welcome again. Glad you made it. I know my van was grumpy this morning when I started it. It said, no, why? Stop. This is not the time. Then I coaxed it along till it got here and just sort of left it and said, there you go. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Just park yourself. So I'm glad you're here. And for I'm sure there's many who are listening or will be watching later on. Uh, glad you can join us. I want to jump into this passage. It's a shorter chunk that we're going to look at this morning, just these few verses. And I want to draw our attention to, to the words that Paul uses to describe what he's thankful for in the lives of the Thessalonians. Look again at verse 13. He says, we also thank God constantly for this. So here's the thing he's thankful for. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And then he goes on to say that because of the, the word has been received and accepted, that they've become imitators or become similar, this is verse 14, to the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. So they, they now start to look like the other churches that Paul is aware of. And the second half, verse 14, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as did the Jews. And so there's a shared experience that these Thessalonian Christians have had with the, the Jewish Christians back home, so to speak. And Paul's saying that those are sort of the marks that you had a genuine experience with Jesus because um, your hearts and your lives and your character looks the same, but also you've experienced the same sort of persecution that's come from outside. But I want to walk us through those words this morning that Paul says they received the word and then they accepted the word and then they suffered on behalf of the word that they believed we could say. I want to look at each of those. First, it says they received the word of God. They received the word of God. The word of God is the good news. It's the good news of Jesus that in the brokenness and the despair and the evil and the violence in our world, there is meaning and hope and salvation and freedom that Jesus brings. That we can have a relationship with God and the sin and the evil in our lives Jesus has taken to the cross and through his death he has ended their power and by his resurrection he has ended the power of death. And now as he has passed from death into life, so we too when we die, those who are in him pass from death into life. 
And that invitation is for all who will repent and believe. This is how Jesus opens his ministry in Mark's gospel. Repent and believe. And that promise of new life is for everybody. This is the word of God that they receive. This is the news that Paul came to share with them. But the other thing that is easy for us to forget, I think, especially if you've heard the good news before and you're like, yeah, I get it, Nick. I've heard, I know what the gospel is is that the Christian faith is not, is not about how you are bad and you need to get better. And that somehow you will get better based on your performance. That is not what the gospel is. The gospel is the declaration that you are dead. And now through Jesus, you can be made alive. And that's a free gift of God's grace. It is not based on your works. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on how good or bad you think you are. It's a free gift of God that while we were still sinners, while we were at our worst, Christ died for you. And now we can receive that gift. And now having encountered Jesus, we are called into life. We're not just saved so we can go off to heaven someday. We're saved for a Christian life here and now it has ramifications for the present. Yes, we'll be with him in glory. That's like, yeah, that's great. But what about here and now in my day-to-day -day life? And we heard a little bit about that in that reframe preview, that we're called to go and image forth God's character into the world. And we do that in how we love people and how we love God, but also in our work. That through all the various ways that you've been called to work or called to care for family, or whatever it is that you sort of set your hand to each day, in all of those ways, you are joining in with God's cultivation of his good world. And so when you go and you are practicing medicine as a doctor, you are part of bringing about the cultivation of God's goodwill for his world. And when you're caring for kids, you're part of that same calling of cultivating God's good in his world. And when you're working in the trades, what are you doing? You're bringing order to the chaos, much like Genesis 1. You bring order and life to what was chaotic and broken. And every time you do that, you're doing something creational as a tradesperson. You're participating in the work of God in the world. And whenever you're practicing hospitality as a waiter or a waitress or a service person, you're inviting people into the same hospitality and grace of God in the world. And so you're called and saved not just to kind of get fire insurance to get out of hell, but you're called and saved for a work here in the world, here and now, to cultivate the goodness of God. That's what we're saved for. And so the word we receive is not just sort of this private thing about being somehow a better or nice person. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is the invitation. It's a public invitation for all who are dead to come alive, to repent and believe, not again based on my performance, but to receive that sheer gift of God's grace through faith in Jesus because of what he's done at the cross. Because being human's not the problem. My sin's the problem. My sin's the problem. But being human's not the problem. Jesus came to deal with sin so we could be made more fully human and fully alive in and through him. And that happens through the presence of the Spirit within us. And so, Notice this. This is the word they received, but they only heard the message because what? Well, Paul went and shared it with them. 
Someone had to share it. And Paul was not afraid to share his faith. I think of a passage like Romans 1.16, familiar verse. He says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He said, I'm not ashamed of the good news. I want to share it. It's the power of God. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, we are also called not to be ashamed of the gospel. We're also called to be willing to share that news, both in word and what we say, but also in deed by how we live. And your life can be a signpost that points people to Jesus or not. Romans 10, 14 says this, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him if they have not heard? And so this morning when we think about receiving the gospel, and we can say, yes, I've received. That's awesome, wonderful. But the call then for us is to also be willing to go and share that so others can receive. How will they call on him if they've never heard, if no one goes to share that message? So the Thessalonians have received the word of God because it was spoken to them, because Paul and his friends had obeyed that commission from Jesus to make disciples. And that's the call for us from this first point this morning. If you've heard the word of God, brilliant, brilliant. Will you now share it by how you live? The second thing is that they accepted the word. Now, the Thessalonians grew up in a, in a pluralistic culture. So they were, there was, they were exposed to all kinds of strange religious ideas and spiritualities and, and weird practices all over the place. That was not new. They were just like today. You could find people believing this, people believing that, this sort of thing over here, somebody worshiping that thing over there, or not worshiping anything. That wasn't new to them. That's not new in our day. That was common then. That you could say they've, they've seen and heard it all. And yet, something different happened when they heard Paul share the gospel with them. It says the Thessalonians not only heard the word, but they accepted the word. In what way? as from God. There was something of the ring of truth to what was shared with them. They realized this is not just something someone's making up. This is actually true. This actually comes from God and he's real. And this applies to us. You might think at, at first glance, receiving and accepting are kind of, this, kind of the same thing. But I was thinking about this. You know, if you've if you've ever been proposed to, ladies, being offered the ring and accepting the ring are two very different things, right? You could, you could get a gift of a ring, but until you accept that ring, uh, you're just kind of waiting in limbo, or at least the guy is probably waiting in limbo until you decide what you're doing. But once you accept the thing, well, then it changes, right? In fact, it actually changes the relationship significantly. Something, something's shifted when, when yes has been said, right? And in the same way, something shifts in the Thessalonians' relationship when they say yes and accept the word. And in, in similar to a marriage, they're saying yes, knowing this is from God. This is an invitation to relationship with God. And I'm saying yes to the ring that he's extending to me. 
for saying yes to that. God has extended that, and now they're receiving it. And it changes. It's a personal gift from a person that changes their lives. And in the same way, they saw that this gift, it, it was eternal life. It was a gift into new life, not from Paul, right? It's not like they start worshiping Paul. No, no, it was through Paul, but it was from God. It was from God. And to accept the word of God as true means, means believing in it. And I want to say here as Christians, we are not called to blind faith. If you're saying, well, we believe because we have faith in this or that, it, it's, not a, it's not meant to be a blind faith. When you look at passages in Scripture about the faith that we have in Jesus or in God, often the Bible will make reference to having faith in the things that happened. So in a sense, the Bible points to the evidence and says, look at the evidence of what has happened. Don't just trust this blindly. No, no. Look at the evidence. And understand that the evidence points to the truth and you can put your faith in the accuracy of the historical evidence. So for instance, as Christians, we believe that the Gospels are the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life in ministry. And we know that they're, that they're incredibly accurate accounts because of how early they are written. Within the first generation, you have eyewitnesses writing about Jesus. Um, in other historical figures, like Alexander the Great, for instance, we don't have written testimony about him until about four or five hundred years after he lived. And yet, all it's not a disputed fact that Alexander the Great existed. Right? But we don't have evidence of it till four or five hundred years later of people talking about Alexander the Great. With Jesus, we have evidence within the first generation of what he did and said. So that's incredibly powerful. And that's just one, one instance. There's lots we could say. But that same evidence of eyewitness account has been reliably uh, transferred through the ages very, very accurately. We have more historical documents for the life and witness of Jesus than we do for, for Plato, for instance, or, or Homer's Iliad, the Odyssey. We have more parchments and more record of of the accuracy of the historical Jesus than we do for some of those other texts. So our faith is not meant to be blind. Our faith is in the reasonable proof that this is true and that God then seals the assurance of that by his spirit in our hearts. This is how Peter puts it in 2 Peter 1, 16, 18. He says this, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord. We were eyewitnesses to his majesty. So think, for instance, um, several hundred years from now, uh, you find uh, someone's doing research about COVID. And they find someone writing about COVID 200 years after it occurred. It's a pretty good article, right? It's fairly, you think that's pretty accurate. It's within 200 years. And then they find something written by a person who actually lived through it. Well, which one's going to be potentially more historically accurate? Well, the one of the person who lived through it, not the person reflecting on it who wasn't even there. 
And this is what Paul makes clear in this passage here. He says, we were eyewitnesses to Jesus. We saw him. We heard him. We touched the wounds in his resurrected body like it was real. This isn't just something we made up. They didn't devise just a clever story from which, here's the other thing, the apostles gain nothing if it's false. If it turns out to be an elaborate lie and an elaborate hoax, they gain nothing from that. There's no reason for them to make it up. In fact, just the opposite. They're willing to die for it. And all of the apostles, except for John, traditionally we're told, were killed for their faith because they wouldn't say no. They wouldn't say, you're right, we made it up. It's an elaborate hoax. Stop trying to kill me, right? Uh, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, it was all Peter's idea, and I'm good. They didn't do it because they knew it was true. And few people will die for a lie like that. They sought to faithfully convey what they had experienced. And so there's several points, and there's so much more we could say about the authenticity of Scripture. Um, but it points to the truth of God's Word. And so again, coming back to the Thessalonians, this isn't just good ideas, right? They, they understood that what Paul was sharing was something trustworthy, was something that had the ring of truth to it. It was authoritative. This message about Jesus actually happened. They saw him, and Paul had seen him too. Paul gets to be an apostle because he's an eyewitness on the road to Damascus, by the way. So that's why he gets looped in with the apostles. Apostles are people that have to be eyewitnesses to Jesus, by the way. That's what it means. So when you have people running around saying they're apostles, yeah, careful. You need to really carefully define what you mean by that. Because not everyone gets to be an apostle and write scripture and be eyewitnesses to Jesus. So careful what you're watching on YouTube and your television megachurch people. Please, pastorally, can I say that? Please be careful. There's a lot of weird stuff out there. Please be careful. So what the Thessalonians do, they receive the word spoken, and then they accept that it's true, that Jesus really lived and died and rose again, and this changes everything, right? What happens to them? Look again at verse 13. Paul says, now that message is at work within you. It's doing something to you. Like it's transforming you from the inside out. Something's actually happening. And, and I mentioned this when we started our series on Thessalonians, that the gospel of Jesus transforms our lives. That we're meant to be different because we've encountered Jesus. It actually changes us. Paul says the message is now at work within you. And again, much like accepting a proposal from a fiance, right? It changes everything. The relationship has changed. It's a new relationship. And it changes our affections. Paul says that these Christians, he's thankful again for this, that the Thessalonian Christians have become like the Christians, the other Christians he knows. The same sort of character, the same sort of fruit of the Spirit is happening in their lives. And he's like, hey, look, you're becoming like, hey, look, Jesus is doing something in you. You've changed. You've really changed. You used to be like this, but now you're like this. Like, what happened? Oh, it's because we, we actually encountered Jesus. And he changed our lives. And then he says this, and this is a little more difficult, I think, for us to 
to get it's easy for us to say yeah jesus changed my life and now like it's really good it's something else to say yeah jesus changed my life and now i'm suffering for it but that's what paul he's thankful for it he's thankful for the persecution because it means that they've actually shifted their allegiance from one king to another king from one way of living to king jesus and that has has real ramifications in real life and and the culture around them doesn't love it doesn't love it and so he says just like the other churches you're also experiencing a measure of of suffering and you know we shouldn't be surprised that following jesus involves a measure of suffering it shouldn't shock us especially when you come to a passage like this and we're just reminded again and you know i already said be careful what you what you listen to um but there's a lot of, of false prosperity teachers that will teach about how as Christians, you know, your life's just going to be perfect and you're never going to suffer. And you're always going to be healthy. And if you pray a certain prayer, you'll, you're going to be like financially wealthy all the time. And if you buy this special thing right now, you know, you'll get extra blessed or some, some ridiculous thing. Um, they're ignoring what Paul makes really clear here, that following Jesus will not look successful. It will not mean that you're always healthy. It will not mean that you're going to be wealthy. The Son of Man had no place to lay his head. Jesus said, people will despise you because of me. The world will hate you, right? But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And I was thinking about our situation here in Canada and how um, we really know very little about suffering. Like, we, we really don't have a clue. <laughs> I know we, we can feel uncomfortable sometimes, and we can be kind of put on the spot sometimes and maybe intimidated for our faith, but we have, we have brothers and sisters in countries around the world who receive death threats because they're Christians. Right? Or they're told, I'm going to come after your kids because you're a pastor. I'm not worried about my kids. I'm not worried this morning that someone's going to come and bomb the church. Because we have an incredible freedom. And we're incredibly blessed. And often I hear people say, it's getting so bad in Canada. It's just get, it's getting so bad. And there's some truth to that. That things have shifted and, and we live in a secular nation and we can grieve that some of the values and the traditions that were part of our country are not anymore, and that's fine to grieve. I grieve that. I have trouble when I see things that are celebrated and emphasized in our culture, but that's a far cry from you being raided because you have a Bible in your home or not being able to sit in Tim Hortons and read Scripture or pray with someone. We have incredible freedom. We need to be thankful and praying for those that don't have that. Um, so yes, it's it's difficult, but we're not uh, being publicly tortured because we came together as Christians this morning. And to presume that our our measure of fairly meager sufferings is comparable to the actual suffering of other Christians is is sad. It's sad, um, and we, we just want to we want to hold that loosely. And some people will do the, will do that. Well, it's getting so bad. Clearly, we're in the end times. 
I just feel like saying, you really think that what's happening in Canada right now is as bad as what was happening when John wrote Revelation and people are being crucified and then lit on fire at the emperor's party gatherings? Really? Try telling those Christians that it's worse now than it was for them. Like, how ignorant can we be? I'm sorry, but it's not that bad. It just isn't. We all can come here. No, no one's coming to get us right now. We're like we're relatively safe, right? Amazing, um, like actually amazing, 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 because we're told not to expect or assume that, right? Amazing. Thank you, Jesus, for the peace we enjoy, right? Thank you, Lord. Are we in the end times? Yes, the Bible says. The end times begins at the resurrection. So we've been in end times for 2,000 years, according to the Bible. And honestly, what would it do any differently if uh, you knew Jesus was coming tomorrow or coming in 100 years? You're called to live faithfully for him regardless of when he comes. So don't get jumpy about that. Anywhere in the Bible where people are jumpy about Jesus coming back, they're told to settle down and just get on with life. So in 2 Thessalonians... They stop working because they think, well, Jesus is coming back right away. Why would I bother working? And Paul says, just get on with it. Stop that. That's silly. Get on with life. You're not meant to know when Jesus comes back, by the way. So don't worry about it. Are you living faithfully for him right now? Yes? No? Well then, carry on. That's, that's what we're to do. So is it getting worse? Sure. Are we in the end times? Sure. Do I think Jesus is coming in my lifetime? I don't care not supposed to care. Bible doesn't tell me to care. Bible says, love God and love your neighbor. Do that faithfully now. And when the end comes, the end comes. So don't worry about that. Don't be jumpy about that. Again, watch, careful what you're watching. If it's always about Jesus is coming tomorrow because the newspaper said something's happening and wherever, just don't worry about that. It's not something to worry about. Don't need to get jumpy about it. In fact, Paul tells them when they get jumpy, settle down. Get back to work. Get back to loving your families. Carry on. Carry on. It's okay. So, the Thessalonians received what they've heard. And the question for us is, have we received that message? Maybe there's some of you here who have never received the message, the good news that Jesus loves you, and he died for you, and he calls you out of death and into life. And if you haven't received that this morning, I want to invite you to repent and to believe not out of blind faith, but because of the evidence and because God has moved you. And if you have received that wonderful, will you, like Paul, pass that on to others? Secondly, they accepted the word as from God. And this morning, I, I want to ask, do you, do you see that the word of God is trustworthy and authoritative and life-giving? And if you do believe that, then I encourage you to read it, take and read. Let it be part of your life prayerfully. If you're wondering what to do, wondering what decision to make, sometimes you hear people go, I just need God to speak. I just need God to speak to me. And your Bible's closed somewhere. God's spoken. Are you listening? Will you open? Will you hear? If you long for a deeper walk with God, take and read. Take and read. Sit and listen. And finally, the Thessalonians were transformed, right? Their lives got turned around and they entered into relationship with Jesus. 
there were those who didn't like that that happened and they suffered for their faith and again we know such a freedom and a peace but that should not keep us in fear of sharing our faith with others and we too will experience suffering in, in some way i had a professor in college who who said actually the, the place of likely your greatest suffering as a Christian will probably come from your family, your immediate family, your extended family. That's been true in my life. That some who have hurt me the most for my faith have been people related to me. And that's probably resonates with some of you as well. And at the end of the day, the Thessalonians were called to remember their allegiance was to the true king, not to Caesar, to the one who had transformed their lives. And so they went, living that out. And may we too go, like missionaries, into our workplaces and into our schools and into our homes with the gospel and living that gospel, knowing that he will love us and keep us, that we need fear no evil, for he is with us. They received the word, they accepted the word, and then they let Jesus transform them. Let's pray to that end, that he would do the same in us. Lord, this morning we thank you for the power of your word to transform lives. We thank you, Lord, that's not just this abstract word. It's, it's you. It's the, it's the message that you are alive, that you love us, that you created us, and you want to redeem us. You want to set us free and move us from death to life. Lord, that you have a promise of, of eternal life for us, that we will live with you in glory forever enjoying your presence. Lord, uh, there's moments in our lives where we long for that day, where we see the brokenness in our world and we, we long to know a world that's free of evil and brokenness and hurt. We long for you to return. And Lord, we are called to look for your return, to wait for it, to be expectant, but we do so, Lord, as people knowing you're coming and living in light of that truth. And so this morning we just pray that where we have received and accepted you as our Savior, would you help us to live faithfully for you? Would you allow, would you open our hearts, Lord, to, to allow that transformation in our hearts and our lives? And Jesus, if it brings a measure of suffering, which for many of us it, it won't be anything like what others experience in other countries. But Lord, if there's relationships that get broken, damaged, things that we face, Lord, may we know we're in good company. That you said that there would be trouble. But you also said that you were greater than any trouble we could face. That as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we need fear no evil, for you are with us. So Jesus, this morning, I just pray, I, I don't know the situation in everyone's lives here today, present in, in this place or listening later on, but Lord, you do. You know the suffering that we're facing. You know the, the issues in our lives and the, the, the brokenness and the, the pain that we've experienced and the, the various things in our families or marriages or at work. Lord, there's, there's lots going on in a lot of our lives, and we need you. So Jesus, today we thank you that that uh, you have reached out to us. You've reached out to us and we can receive and accept the free gift of your grace, of 
your salvation. And Lord, we can walk in that truth and let it shape us and mold us to imitate you, Lord. We thank you that you call us to live faithfully here and now, whatever tomorrow may bring. Lord, we don't we don't know all the ins and outs of that, and, and I don't think we're supposed to. Um, Jesus, at the end of the day, you call us to live faithfully for you, loving you with all of our being, loving those around us. So, so Lord, would you help us to do just that? That's enough for all of us to live. That's enough to try to live that God. Lord, would you give grace to each one as we go today to live faithfully for you? Lord, we thank you again that you have reached out to us. Help us to reach out to those around us who need to receive the free gift of your life. And with the words you taught us, Lord, we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand? I'd love to speak benediction over you before you go. Children of God, who are loved and forgiven through our Lord Jesus Christ, May you receive the gift of God's grace today, the reassurance that he loves you, not based on your performance, but solely on the basis of Jesus' death at the cross. May you accept the truth of that gift, that you are loved and you can be made whole and healed through him. And may you be transformed by the presence of the Spirit to be imitators of Christ and that whatever that might bring in life, you can trust and rest in him who says he'll never leave us or forsake us. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. We love you. If you'd like prayer this morning, love to pray with you. Otherwise, have a great week and we'll see you next Sunday.